Hello, and welcome to Unmuted Unmastered. I'm Will, and this is the internet's highest music podcast. On the show this week, I'm joined by James. Hello. And Tom. Speak for yourself, Will. <laughs> no, 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 you'll guess it. Think about the album we're doing this week. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And later on, we'll be joined by Jess. On this week's show, we've got a review of the new Black Country New Road album, and we've got the upcoming releases this week that you need to know about. But first, let's get into the news. Tom, what have you got for us? In the news this week, Sony Music is allowed to buy AWOL for $430 million after the merger has been provisionally cleared by the CMA. Cast your mind back um, to some point last year, we talked about a big deal that was happening in the music industry Sony Music, one of the um, major labels, was planning to buy uh, and indeed merge with um, AWOL, which is a uh, recording and artist services. Basically, it's an independent label. It's one of the cool new hip uh, music labels, which has emerged over the last 10 years or so, which was previously owned by uh, Cobalt Music Group. Um, That sale initially went through all okay, and then as soon as it did, the Competition and Markets Authority, which is a... Um, regulatory board, a watchdog um, in here in the UK, turned around and said, we're going to check this out just to make sure that um, competition is still being upheld in the music market. Their main concern was that because AWOL is a very, very big independent label and because Sony Music is a very, very big uh, major label, if you combine the two together, are you going to have Sony being able to influence every single part of the uh, music industry going forward, or rather, n- not so much that, but are they going to have um, far too much influence over each of those spheres? Um, there was quite a lengthy investigation into this. Uh, I believe the investigations went on for about nine months and we're in two separate phases. Phase two um, was announced back in September. That was quite a thorough and deep review into the um market into the situation in which AWOL was bought by Sony uh, and also what the market reaction is and what the uh, implications would be for the music market if that deal went through. Um, They've been somewhat critical and slightly doubtful of the information that AWOL and Sony have provided them, but they have allowed the deal to go through. Which is interesting. The key, the key thing is, of course, Sony Music is also the owner of The Orchard, which is another very, very big um, independent label. There's various spiel in this massive document which the government has published, gov.uk, um, if you want to find this information. Um, there's loads of spiel about it, but the key thing was, the, the, the key thing that they wanted to investigate was if Sony had control of The Orchard, this big independent label that they owned completely, and AWOL, this other big independent um, label that they already owned, would they have undue amounts of power if a Universal decided to buy out a tiny startup and try and get going? And if what if they never could because Sony literally bought them out of the market and no one, no matter how many resources they had, could actually challenge them, and if Sony could actually own that entire market. Um, that's the situation. Sony is now allowed to keep AWOL. What does that mean? Uh, not an awful lot. The deal already went through, um, and it's relatively boring music business stuff, but it is still quite interesting that um, legal entities, uh, and rather government entities, are taking interest in the music industry and what's happening. You may remember a few months ago we talked about the 
Commons Select Committee into the economics and music streaming as well. It's just another example of where the UK government is taking an interest in the music industry and for probably the first time in about 20 years is realising that it's probably bigger than people realise given that you've got deals going through for $430 million. Um, but that is a conclusion to that story. Sony is allowed to keep a wall uh, and the merger is going ahead as the CMA provisionally clears the deal. I guess part of the point is that as soon as Sony buys them, they cease to be independent labels now. Um, well, it depends. I think they're still going to they're still going to operate as um, separate brands to Sony Music, but they are, of course, owned by the same company. In many ways, they are one and the same. They're just different brands, effectively. Mm. I mean, like any number of subsidiaries that you have. I guess the key is that it's the kinds of artists that are on these two labels. Right, like, uh, The Orchard owns Fat Possum, they're well known. Mm. It says here that AWOL own Mousetrap, but I don't know if that's actually true. And Side One Dummy, but I have a feeling they shut down at some point. Uh, AWOL currently on their books have Girl in Red, they've got Phineas, they've got Little Sims, from my memory they've also got um, fame, uh, various members of the Cool Kids Club, as I call them, like Tom Mitch, um, mm. and various other cool and hip artists that are down with the kids yo oh my god tom don't say things like that um yeah i also say that because i never felt as part of the cool kids club i'm fine it's it hasn't jaded me at all um the key thing with it though is moving forward more than any artists that they might have and any revenue they're picking up right now um going ahead does this mean that sony would have undue control and would they have undue influence over how the industry uh, develops so would um, every other bit in order to in order to compete would other businesses have to work in the same way as AWOL slash the Orchard slash Sony would there be no other way to do it because the Sony way is the way which dominates the market that is um, part of their concern and also quite rightly how much um, of a market share as you have alluded to do they have over the market? At the moment, I think somewhere in the report, it was quoted that Sony and AWOL combined have about 30% of the current um, music streaming market. Of course, that includes Sony through their various labels like Columbia, for example, um, from memory Epic as well. So between those and AWOL, which has this massive roster of independent artists, and The Orchard, which has this roster of independent artists, it's about 30%, which is very big, actually. The thing that really intrigues me is why did they decide to pick it up in the first place? Because it, it seems like a bit of a black magic to try and figure it out in the first place, or, or are there some mystic art to try and figure it out in the first place? Um, and even then... You know, how do you measure it? Because actually, a lot of the reporting in this, and a lot of the, um, even the final reports that they published, have shown a real granular, um, detailed account of how the industry operates. And I've actually learned some things reading this and gone, actually, I didn't realize they worked that way. So I'm just kind of piecing this together and thinking out loud. But what I think is going on is, well, not going on. The situation is that the Orchard and AWOL are both big, or were both big distributors of independent labels. Yeah. Which means that the independent labels that are now coming up 
have less options in terms of people to go to to get their music to a wider audience. Yeah, in effect. So in that's effect. where Sony might have a not a monopoly, but too much power in terms of these small labels don't have anyone else to go to but Sony or another major, essentially. Precisely, exactly right. Mm. Um, Because again, there are limited options, whether you're an artist or a label in the first place. If you're an artist, you could go to Sony directly. Uh, You could also go to The Orchard or to AWOL, or you could go to a DIY um, distributor, someone like Ditto or DistroKid or something uh, equivalent. Again, as as you've mentioned as well, for label distribution, so for independent labels who have got a roster of whatever it is, five or ten independent artists that they support, what companies can they partner with to push them to a wider audience? Well, there's The Orchard. You might be able to talk to AWOL, although they're more for it, like one-to-one artists and AWOL acts as the label. That's why, that's why the name is literally Artist Without a Label. Um, yes, I see the irony. Um, but what companies can a independent label talk to in order to get some um, A&R support and A&L support for their um, artists? There's The Orchard. Maybe they could get bought out by one of the majors. That's about it, really. There's not, you know, and certainly uh, the question was, would the deal between Sony and AWOL limit those choices, both for the artist and for the labels? Um, as it turns out, they think the well, they, they haven't said that it won't limit it at all, but they've said that it won't limit it enough in order to warrant deal not going through. Um, and the other side to this as well is that other is that industry commentators have said in various forms, do we actually know that AWOL would have survived if Sony hadn't bought them out? For various reasons, Cobalt, the company that previously owned AWOL, had a massive deficit in their budget. They had a lot of money, which they needed to find relatively quick in order to pay off their outstanding business debts. Blah, blah, blah. Lots of boring business stuff. In order to pay back those debts, they had to sell off something very valuable. Oh, look, here's the biggest independent... um, he's the biggest and most well-reputed artist service that we have, independent artist service, why don't we sell it to one of the labels? Um, And it conveniently solved all of their money problems. Um, Which is the flip side of this as well. Could could AWOL have kept going if um, Sony didn't buy them out? Maybe that's how to sway in the decision. I don't know. I haven't been able to go through fully and uh, review all the information, but that's the flip side of this. If uh, this deal had never happened, and if it was um, reverted, if CMA said this deal can't go through, how long would they will be around? Again, that's now theoretical. That's completely theoretical at this point. But that was the other side of it as well. Would that business keep going? Um, and also, and also, of course, would Sony keep going if the deal didn't go through? The answer is yes, Sony would keep going. But the uh, question would be, would AWOL be in trouble? Would their future be in jeopardy? It's lots of boring, complicated business stuff, I told you. Okay, let's move on to our review for this week. We have been looking at and listening to Ants From Up There by Black Country New Road, their second album. It came out on the 4th of February 2022 on Ninja Ninja Tune. That's a really hard one to say, like properly pronounced pronounce what is it ninja tune ninja oh yeah tune. i see what you mean <laughs> it's hard ninja tune Ugh. <laughs> it clocks in at 58 minutes let's start off with general impressions james why don't you kick us off 
I thought it was insanely good. It was really, really, really good. Um, to take out a page out of um, Tom's book, my favorite album of the year so far. Um, what I really like about it is the overall expression and feeling of it. Um, there's a certain sense of them really enjoying it, really enjoying their playing um, together. And I thought that's the, like that feeling only came from actually playing in a band. Um, but they somehow captured that and presented that in a really good way. The whole album really works dynamics um, really well. There's, there's songs that are loud, there's songs that are quieter, and there's songs that um, combine those two things together. And going on from that, it kind of has everything you need. It has well, everything you want. Um, there's just so much variety in there without feeling confusing. Um, and the interplay with all the instruments and everything um, is actually like incredible. And the, the songwriting, they, they know how to write a song, not only in the instrumentation, but in the vocals and lyrics and everything. So... I mean, there are some things I would change a bit, but I think those things will come um, as we talk about um, track by track. But over my overall thoughts, it's just, yeah, I think it's an outstanding album. Jess? Hi there. Uh, yes, I'm here, and I also liked this album a lot. I thought it took quite a lot of concentration to kind of enjoy it fully. I didn't think, un like, unlike some of the other albums we've talked about, it was sort of neither something you could just put on in the background nor something that was particularly catchy, but something to kind of dedicate some time to. Um, but if you did dedicate your time to it, I thought there was a lot there. And yeah, James, as you mentioned, it was very dynamic. I appreciated that. I think um, particularly like looking at the first couple of songs compared to the last few songs, it was it wasn't um, it wasn't just like very quiet and ambient but it had some very quiet moments, but it also had some really loud ones that maybe kind of had to turn down my headphones a bit. Um, it wasn't just a wall of sound either, which we've had some that have been both of those extremes. So it's nice to be something that has a bit of both at different points. Yeah, I think the strongest bit of it for me is just the emotions of the band coming through, kind of as, as you've also alluded to. It doesn't feel like too cheesy either. I think having something that's very like emotion emotion focused could be very it could kind of come across as contrived but it doesn't feel like that at any point at all to me it feels very genuine i don't always know what they're saying <laughs> some of it i will admit i tried to kind of read into it as best i could and i didn't get very far a lot of the time but i kind of felt like i understood the overall impression of the feelings they were trying to get across well sometimes it had this kind of interesting mix of being of like, I couldn't tell if it was really joyful or completely in despair. It's somehow, sometimes both seem to come across. I guess it's a, a way that you could maybe describe that. It's kind of bittersweet and nostalgic and in the middle, I don't know. Which kind of makes sense of in the wider context of the album as well, in terms of the band. I liked overall the themes that ran through it. I think some of the other albums we've talked about, we've said, oh, there wasn't really like too much of a theme going through. This one, you could definitely pick out like recurrent imagery, Concord being one of them, planes in general, there's a plane on the cover, there's planes and Concord reference throughout the album. Um, certain lyrics are referenced throughout different songs. I mean, it being, I'm, I'm, I'm a simple girl. I like planes. I think planes are cool. That's instant points from me. 
for no particular reason. And yeah, that just the the little like snippets of lyrics, which we'll probably get into in more detail, really are one of its strengths. I think one of the whole band's strengths. Obviously, the vocals are kind of a standout point in this band. So yeah, I kind of find it hard to put it put all my thoughts into one coherent message. But it was it was overall a very strong album. I thought and was worth putting some good time into. Tom, I feel a bit awkward. I don't really get this. Uh, not going to lie, I don't really understand this album yet. Oh, we like some uh, interesting conversations here. Go on. No, I, it's a very interesting album. I find listening to art rock like this very, very refreshing, especially as someone who constantly complains about how much indie music could do and it doesn't do. Okay, this is awesome. Uh, I listen to tracks like the intro and I hear Counterpoint a la Steve Reich and I go, this is not how I expected this to begin. Let me hear more. Um, And then... I just kind of get lost and I don't really know how I feel or where I've ended up and I don't really know how to get back. Um, not quite on the same level as Anti-Dawn that we had a couple of weeks ago. That was just a weird and spooky, um, anxiety-inducing album. This wasn't that. Um, but Jess, your point about needing to concentrate to enjoy this album fully I think is actually a very, very valid point. I found myself in the way that I I discovered something about the way that I listen to music, listening to this album. This album was very difficult for me to get into because music is inherently background music for me in many ways. And I'll, um, I don't know, maybe because I'm a musician, maybe because I play and I write songs, I listen for rhythms and I listen and I attach myself to um, melody lines and to lyrics, which you can in this, but none of them feel quite right. They're all a little bit off, and that's kind of the point. But I had a lot of difficulties trying to get into this album. That being said, this does have some of the hallmarks of some of my favourite music. And this is what confuses me, because I see these wonderful bits which I adore, I just can't quite grab them yet, and I can't quite embrace them fully. I don't quite know what the right word is, but there's even little bits like um, the vocal snippets were somewhere which um, I was suddenly taken and then these um, thoughts went away again. You know, just little lines stood out to me even while I was listening to it and I went, okay, tell me more. And I can remember them now. Like, you know, I heard that you're on Atkins. No one had Wi-Fi in your apartment so he knelt at your altar. Tell me more. What does that mean? Uh, and then he just kind of faded away again and I was lost. Um, which was a very peculiar feeling as a listener. Very, very weird. Um, and then there were these little moments of counterpoint that came back and forth and then there's just like weird things like, I don't know, uh, I think I had a clarinet at one point and oboes and all sorts of weird things. It's cool and odd and unusual, but I haven't figured it out yet. It's like some massively complicated machine that you might see in a YouTube video and you go, the way this moving is really cool, but I can't figure out what it's doing yet. Uh, and it felt a little bit peculiar and overwhelming. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit confused listening to this. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's not. Um, general thoughts, I'm confused. But then again, nothing new there. 
I love this album. Uh, there's just like so much in it. Like it's an hour long, and there are like tons of sections and different ideas, and everyone feels like it's been like explored to completion. Like Tom was saying, there are loads of different instruments used across the record. This is pretty much obviously not what I was thinking of because it is so creative, but this is the kind of thing I was hoping for after hearing their debut, when I think we were talking about it on the show, if not in private, where I was saying, like, I enjoyed for the first time, but I feel like it shows that they have the promise to do, like, something really great, and I think this is it. For me, I mean, part of the reason I love it so much is it kind of feels like a at least musically, kind of unique take on England. Like, I was saying, um, somewhat jokingly, was it last week, that it feels like a trip to Duxford Air Base? But, like, it does have, and maybe it's because it's coming out of Cambridge here and I'm relating parts of that to my childhood, but, like, it just has this unique feel of, like, Britishness that I haven't really heard quite that way before. Um, and it's kind of hard to pin down for me. Also, partly, I don't have enough notes on this album because every time I try and listen to it to make my review, like prepare my review, I just get sucked into it. And I end up just listening to the album again, which um, is a bit annoying, but also quite enjoyable. Um, and then on the whole concentration thing, for me, maybe because I listen to a lot of bands like Broken Social Scene and Stars. Um, and like explosions in the sky or whatever, I found it more easy to pass maybe than others where I am kind of relating back to those things. And also I think on this album, the emotion in general, for me at least, is strong enough to pull me through where I don't need to be listening to every part and trying to analyse it to enjoy it because it does have that emotional through line and the themes like you were talking about, Jess. That kind of keep you going through it. And it, somehow, despite having multiple almost 10 minute tracks and one track over 10 minutes, like it never feels like a slog. Like it's always like going on to the next thing. And whenever it sits on something for a while, it feels earned and developed and interesting. Um, so, yeah, in general, good. Shall we get into some more in depth? thoughts. Does anyone want to start us off? Um, briefly start with the intro, which is apt because it's the shortest track on the album. Um, yeah. Why Why a counterpoint piece? I'd I love this. This is weird. Tell me more. Um, I immediately started listening to that and I just thought, where the heck is this going? I really, really enjoyed that and it's the last thing that I expected to see for an introduction and I thought what am I listening to here this isn't rock and again I think this is because I'm a little bit um, alien to this sort of thing I'm not um, someone who listens to a lot of post-rock I'm not someone who's um, for example listened to Black Midi I know shame on me um, but yeah that really took me from a from the word go but then it was kind of lost later on but I'm sure we'll get onto that yeah it's definitely a piece that grab your attention straight away. It's just like, hi, this is the album. I thought it did 
um, set a good scene for the album, um, showing you what it's kind of gonna be. I mean, there's there's points that are not like this in the album, but there's a lot of points that are like this, and there's a lot of experimentation, like you said, Tom, with the counterpoints and um, in this intro and later in the album. Um, but yeah, it was very jarring and very odd sounding. Um, but I did enjoy it. And I also liked how it went into the second track. And the couple of times I've listened to this album, sometimes there was a delay between the first track and second track. So there was this like weird suspense I had and it was a different timing. Like the time between the two tracks was different every time I listened to it. So I didn't know when the next track would come in and I found that quite cool. Um, yeah, it's an odd one. Yeah, I enjoyed it as an intro song. I thought it was very, it just gets into it straight away, which is nice. And it does lead directly into the second song, which is, and it felt kind of odd to then, I listened to it on shuffle later to try and think of it in a different perspective. And it felt weird then to not listen to the two back to back. Felt like it didn't, didn't feel right. <laughs> but also the track listing is kind of interesting because I feel like it was, the first half was almost like the closest thing you could call catchy on this album. And... I did feel like it was maybe a bit sort of front-loaded or at least all my favourite songs were at the start. It's almost in... If I had to order the songs in terms of which one's my favourite, it's almost in order. I did feel like, well, you were saying it was kind of never felt like a slog. I think it tended towards that a bit for me at the end, especially like the three longest tracks of the last ones. And the last song is 12 minutes. It was a bit... It's naturally the point in, in an album where you might be sort of losing concentration a little bit. Um, on any album, not just them. And I think maybe it, yeah, started to lose me a little bit. Or it was a bit more unstructured as well, which I kind of struggled to like orientate myself amongst the songs. They were rather than more, the more like structured first half. Um, but I think given time, they might grow on me a bit more. It's just their place. If I listen to those few tracks on their own, I'll probably enjoy them more and appreciate them more. That's the thing where repeat, les- repeat lessons give you kind of the structure because you know what's coming so you do kind of have a better sense of it and then you're not so worried about that so you can kind of enjoy it more in the moment yeah chaos space marine i loved as a single i think it's the point where the lyrics run the most risk of being like trite edgy like postmodern type stuff and they do manage to keep it the right side of the line all of the time where it never goes even particularly close, I think, which is impressive because I think on their first album there were quite a few moments where I was like, ugh, really? (laughs) What I particularly liked about this one was the different versions of the motif um, kind of stitched together and just fit so well together. I mean, they're really like short motifs and short versions of the motif. But they just... Collectively, it really works together well, and there was a big sense of like movement in the in the piece. But th- there were gaps, there was movement, and yeah, if it felt like you were going forward, um, and then there was this like really big, like really satisfying crescendo in the middle, which yeah, I really enjoyed. One of my favorite pieces in or favorite tracks in the album, actually. One little motif I really did like, I don't know if you'd call it a motif really, but in Concord, there, I think at the start it's like just a guitar and bass and it goes, duh, 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 
and then later on they like add other parts in over the top. And it's just it's so satisfying in like a weird way. Love it. If we want to continue talking about Concord, um I couldn't get enough of like the double stops they were using on the guitar. And then I think a saxophone joins in later. And it's just not a combination I was expecting. Um and the bass as well, it was there was enough variation with the bass. It wasn't just playing the root note of the chord, you know, it was playing it was still simple, but it, it was complex, I guess. It was like, yeah, there, there's enough variation and interesting use of it. Um, and there was like a banjo as well, which wasn't cheesy. It was just has these like nice additions. Well, OK, next song then, Bread Song. Um, I just said about songs being unstructured and things and how it was quite difficult, but this is an example where I did really enjoy it because I was kind of looking up some interviews and stuff and saw that on this song they played the first half without a time signature or like without something to really keep them in sync with each other. And they just kind of played on gut instinct as to when they were going to like change, you know, when they're going to move along. They probably had some sort of plan, but... And then in the second half of the song, the percussion comes in and it suddenly goes gets to be quite um, like rigid and it's it's got almost like a metronome. The percussion is, and I just thought that was kind of a cool a cool way of doing things. Like you get both in one song. And it's interesting to hear the shift from one to the other as it goes along. It almost has that feeling of going into the next song because mm. it does feel like almost the first half comes to an end and then this next part takes off again, but it's still kind of the same ideas in a way but yeah i felt like that change up came at the perfect time where i felt like okay i'm kind of done with this slower part now and then it came like almost immediately the next part comes in and it's it's a bit more like it's got a bit more oomph to it yeah it kind of pulls it along nicely and i really like the lyrics on that song as well i think it was they, they were lyrics that were understandable enough essentially that i could kind of get into a bit more they weren't too obscure and vague and I felt like I could understand on a more surface level I could understand what was going on and just that did help it be a bit more enjoyable rather than having to kind of consult you know a video essay on YouTube explaining it so I appreciate that and I just thought they were they had some really nice lines and a really nice yeah nice theme I like the metaphor of like toast in bed it was just a, a nice way of summing things up I need like a Lemino video to go through all of this in the way that he does for like conspiracy theories. That's exactly what this needs. I think also with the vocals, I think it's more towards the end. He's uh, singing something and then the instruments come in after and it sounds like the instruments are like agreeing with him, kind of like a call and response, but not quite because they they kind of join him. Um, kind of like a choir, I guess. It just sounds like they're agreeing with the vocals speaking of choirs uh mark's theme kind of it kind of sounds like a hymn to me like it has that kind of either like a church hymn or like like an old english song like rule britannia or the national anthem <laughs> or something like it mm. it's like that but a bit more like wistful and nostalgic which i really enjoyed have you watched the film breast off or brass stuff. No. It's about this um, brass band from, oh, I don't know what 
from, from up north and taught him. They work in a coal mine and Margaret Thatcher, you know, blah, 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 blah. But it's a really good film. And that's, this is what, that film, this song reminded me of that film. So go and watch that film. It's really good. Nice. Yeah, I got the same feeling with that one, Will. Um, well, generally on, on quite a lot of the album, actually, I think, yeah, it's interesting that you said about it being a British sounding album. I, I know what you mean. It's hard to pin down why, but it also feels like it doesn't rely on other tropes that have been already sort of established around what a British song is. Um, it's a very much like a new perspective, which is nice. And it, but it did kind of feel like it could have, it was like this weird fusion of modern day, very mundane stuff with, yeah, dramatic, traditional um, songs that have been passed down and played and re-recorded over decades. Ooh, one weird influence or maybe just sound that I'm randomly picking up in one song, in the place where he inserted the blade, I got kind of a kooksy vibe. I don't know if anyone else felt that. But like something about the beat and the way the guitars are, just like, yeah. I put, it reminds me of the best musical piece I've ever heard, um, because I don't really like musicals. <laughs> but if it was a musical piece, I would like it. You know what, actually, I didn't think that, um, I didn't think the kooks, but I did actually have a weird thought. I don't know if anyone else would agree. Um, particularly the song Goodwill Hunting gave me like a weird feeling of Arcade Fire. <laughs> I think particularly it was the, the you know, a lot of different band members, a lot of different instruments slightly atypical instruments for the kind of genre and particularly like the male vocals and then kind of female backing vocals to it and I guess just in general it kind of made me think that they to me anyway they almost hold like a similar position in in terms of like the landscape at the moment of music and they're kind of a popular alternative one doing something a little bit weird for the time anyway I wonder how like looking at how Arcade Fire went over time, I kind of wonder how this album will be like looked back at as well. Whether something similar will happen in terms of like the perspective people have of it. I don't know. I definitely get the Arcade Fire vibes all over this album. <laughs> and partly that, I guess it links into the post-rock stuff and it's like a weird web of things where I'm thinking about like post-rock bands like Do Make Say Think and then broken social scene and then we get to arcade fire right and there's mm. and then yeah we kind of link through um but yeah in terms of its kind of position i think it makes quite a lot of sense to compare them to early arcade fire right where they're really hype i mean they got massively hyped up even before their debut album dropped over <laughs> not very much released music yeah and yeah now they're kind of this big band in in the indie scene and kind of like this grandiose band i guess in some sense but also their career trajectory has just massively changed obviously obviously because of the departure of their front man so yeah it's hard to tell what's actually going to happen in the future with them yeah talk a bit more about goodwill hunting as well it, it it was a song which grabbed me and I did like it, um, but also there were lots of bits where I kind of went, why make that creative choice? Um, there were bits, for example, the chord progression was quite interesting. 
Um, and there were bits where I picked out, you've got this wonderful bit where it goes from the D to the G to the A flat. Um, so it would be like a one, a four, flat five, I guess you would call it technically. But it was a bit weird and a bit funky. And I thought, okay, that's different. Um, but it didn't feel massively satisfying because it didn't resolve in a way that I expected. But also, like production wise, there's lots of peculiar choices. The the guitars are very, very, very dry to the point where they may well have just been recorded straight into the desk. There's no sense of reverb and there's no sense of space. It's like they just kind of exist in this sort of ether. Um, and the vocals feel like they were recorded in a cupboard. There's no sense of um, ambience and there's no sense of um, atmosphere, which seems like a very peculiar choice for what I can tell has been an album designed to feel like a live performance. And I can't quite figure it out. Again, it's little bits like that where I feel it's so jarring, it's a little bit off-putting and it's a little bit unnerving for me. Yeah, this track was one of the ones I didn't like as much. Um, mainly because of because of the guitar, actually. Um, there was like a bending thing they were doing and didn't like it and the same thing with the synth organ i don't know what it was but that like bent up the scale is it i didn't really like that um so yeah this this is one of the weaker ones i think i quite like the synths when it comes in at the beginning i was like ooh, that's yeah something maybe completely different time. from everything mm. else and then yeah the guitars is a bit weird like how in your face they are but it does. Ha- it kind of has like the same unner, a similar unnerving like, um, tone, I guess. To like, I'm thinking of like Karma Police by Radiohead, and some of the other stuff from OK Computer. Where is that kind of like slow, with like the kind of quite like in your ears strumming? It just feels weird, which I quite enjoy. Little bit, yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it's partly because, like, okay, computer and albums, albums like that had a lot of production on them, and that's probably something which I noticed in Go Ball Hunting. It feels like a track which didn't have any production time. It feels like that. It feels like that's the cleanest version of a song that I would record on my laptop in Reaper and then send off to a producer to do. Again, it felt like the, the 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 guitars weren't even necessarily in your face. They were just kind of just there in this sort of pocket somewhere off to the right-hand side. It felt like they almost needed um, treatment or cleaning. And I don't know whether that's the intention. Maybe that's what it was. But it felt like um, it was a really, really, really tidy demo uh, where it almost needed this extra step of processing, which most, most songs get. That was my impression anyway. But then there were also bits like, um, we vaguely mentioned The Sims, there was like a lovely sort of um, pad effect, like this lovely, warm, luscious, almost coral effect in the background, which came in, I, I think it was the second verse, I don't know, whatever whatever they're calling the different sections. Um which again had this wonderful sense of atmosphere and I wondered why isn't this on the rest of it then? Why isn't this on the guitar as well? And why doesn't the vocal have a splash of reverb and all of this? And there were some very peculiar creative choices which 
I don't know, on a deep level, it kind of made me wonder, actually, that's a good point. Why do we, for example, always put delay on vocals? Or why do we always put a bit of reverb on there? But also I kind of wondered, why do I care about these questions? <laughs> what, what am I learning here? Um, yeah, it, it was a track that presented a lot of questions that I didn't know that I had and didn't give me any answers either. <laughs> Also, did anyone expect this album to have as many references to Billie Eilish as it did? No, that was one of the few things I didn't like about this, is that line, (laughs) I didn't really like the first time, and then it keeps coming back in different ways, and I'm, yeah, it's just weirdly like, dating this album Hmm. to a point in time where I kind of wish it was a bit more, I want to use the word irreverent, but I've used that wrongly in the past. Timeless, thank you, Jess. I completely miss this line. What is this line? Are we allowed to repeat it on the air? Yeah, they, they just say Billie Eilish style a lot. Yeah. It just pops up across the album. I genuinely never noticed that, which may tell you something about how I listen to it. It's in, I think it's in Good Will Hunting the most, right? And then it's mentioned in another song as well. Maybe in quite more than a one few. other song. I think it's in Concord. I have a feeling it's in Basketball Shoes. Yeah, possibly, actually. That one kind of has all the right references to a lot of the songs, doesn't it? Basketball Shoes. Yeah. Speaking of a reference to this song, um, in Snow Globes, he, does, he says, doesn't, like, um, doesn't look like Jesus at all. Is that a reference to the Killers song? I think, yeah, it's yeah. a reference to when we were I just, I wasn't listening to the lyrics intently. I just heard that. I was like, hold on. <laughs> I heard that before. <laughs> Speaking of lyrics on Snow Globes, one of my favourite lyrics on the whole album is the section at the end of the that track that he repeats, God of weather, Henry knows, snow globes don't shake on their own. I just love that line. Great. My last kind of detailed thought on it is uh, basketball shoes I love. Um, there's like so many different bits and you'll kind of end up somewhere else and think, this doesn't feel like it should fit with the beginning. And then they go back to the beginning part and you're like, oh, actually this does work again. And um, yeah, there's just so much going on and they're referencing other parts of the album. I think it brings it together really well and somehow lasts 12 and a half minutes and stays <laughs> incredibly engaging throughout. Yeah, I think I struggled a bit to stay focused on that song, but it, I will give it more time and I particularly noticed at the end when there's like a real big crescendo with all these all these drums and percussion and it's all just kind of like a massive crash of everything happening at once and it was a good point to end on for sure. So I think I need to appreciate the build up more, I guess, but I'll get there. I have faith. It's a good motto for life. Appreciate the build-up more. <laughs> to be fair, Jess, I will agree with what you said that... Well, and I'll also reiterate what I said at the beginning. I don't get this album yet. I think I need to give this more time in order to understand this um, more and to start to appreciate it more. This is an album that has completely perplexed me, and that's actually quite a good thing. Another album that perplexed me... Um, from memory was an album called Heavier Things um, by one John Mayer. One album that perplexed me was one uh, Asleep in the Back by Elbow. One album that perplexed me was 
Oh no, now I've got to think of something else. Um, <laughs> Tom's two two uh, artists. The yeah, coral. And, yeah, the, the coral, yes. No, well, uh, first and Sylvester. Ben and Jason. Ben and Jason. And Nick Drake. Okay. They both um, perplexed me the first time that I listened to them. Phew, we got out of that um, divot in a, in a rush. Um, this is an album that's perplexed me. Um, and in the same way that grumpy teenage me um, decided that listening to Linkin Park for the first time when he was 13 was a stupid idea and he didn't like it, then proceeded to go and Google uh, Linkin Park two days later and get sucked back into those music videos. Um, I kind of wonder if I'm on that kind of trajectory and if you ask me again in two years' time, I may be the biggest Black Country New Road fan. Then again, I might not be. What I do know is that this is an album that I'm going to have to revisit and I'm going to have to quietly bond with over time. In the same bracket of weirdly, here's here's a comparison you, you didn't expect to hear tonight. Weirdly, in the same bracket as Adele's new album, I need to wait for the hype to die down and for people to stop talking about it so that I can decide what I like for myself. Uh, which is true. I've recently started listening to the new Adele album after literally every person and their cat has been talking about it. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give this a couple of weeks. Uh, and come back to it a bit later because I think it deserves it weirdly I don't know why well actually no I do know why there are beautiful little bits like the intro and Haldern was a beautiful track my god but the rest of it is just kind of this mush this mess which everyone says is amazing and I don't quite get it yet so I just want people to not against anyone here in the room obviously but 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 just everyone I've talked to says oh my god Black Country New Road Black Country New Road and it's just like just slow down. Just let me enter my isolation chamber and, and then I might figure out what I think about it. Well, let's move towards giving Tom his wish and go on to our final thoughts. So, B- Basically, let's end the show. <laughs> would you recommend our listeners go and listen to this album, James? I think whatever you like, I think you should go and listen to this album because... Yeah, I, it's got so much variety, and I, as I said earlier, um, there's something for everyone, and I think it really satisfies all the points that you want it to satisfy. Um, there are some weaker bits, but yeah, I think definitely, definitely go and listen to this album. Jess? Yes, I definitely would. Although, I, Tom, I do completely understand where you're coming from about avoiding the hype. I recognise that this is a very hyped up album and so it kind of might be off-putting in a way. But notwithstanding all that, it, it is worth listening to. I would say go in with an open mind because if you're not, if you don't listen to this sort of thing very often, you may be kind of confused and not really find it your cup of tea, but there's a lot there if you spend the time on it. Tom? Uh, not yet. I don't get it yet. So, not yet. Okay, so Tom's advice is wait for him to like the album, and then you can go and listen wait to Wait for it. me to tell you that this is the best album in the world, and then you can start listening to it. That's when you know it's really made it, if I like it. It's, 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 like, it's like Jay Rayner in The, in the Guardian. If, if he reviews a restaurant well, then you know it's actually doing well. Tom is the new Fantano. I, yes, that's exactly what I am. Tom tells you what to like. <laughs> exactly. I highly recommend you go and listen to this album. For me, their debut album was the overhyped one, and this one is suitably hyped. 
Um, although I feel like it's kind of come and gone maybe a bit more than their debut did, but maybe I'm just too busy to notice internet hype quite as much. But yeah, this album's fantastic. You should go and listen to it. Right, let's get on to the final part of our review. Where are we going to rank it? I think I would just go and put this at the top, to be honest. I would put this at number one. I think far and away this is the best album we've reviewed so far. Yeah, I would put this at number one as well. Cold take. Okay, I'm genuinely going to have to go through the process here. Would I put this above Earl Sweatshirt? Yes. Would I put this above Andy Dawn? Yes. Would I put it above Jack Francis? Mm, I mean, there's more to it, but I prefer Jack Francis, so the answer is no. I put it at number four. But it appears that I have been unanimously outvoted. I will begrudgingly believe in democracy and allow this to go top. So, the new list is at number one, Black Country New Road with Ants from up there. At number two, Bonobo with Fragments. At number three, Yard Act with The Overload. At number four, Jack Francis's self-titled album. At number five, Anti-Dawn by Burial. And number six, Earl Sweatshirt's Sick. The frustrating thing about this list is that it's now getting to a length where I want to completely rearrange it. Um, and I dare say that or everyone else is also going to have a different way that they would arrange this list. And I think that's what going to we'll be do at come... the end of the year is we'll have an episode where we all give our personal lists. Oh, okay. I'm down. Also, personal lists with time to stew on things. Mm. Yeah. So you might all become jaded Black Country New Road and I've I've joined late to the party. Actually, this is the best album of the year. That would be Maybe. a twist. Oh no, it's going to be like that pitchfork like 10 years later. Thing, isn't it? Oh, well, pitchforks are laughing stock anyway. Did you yes. see the article where they were like, uh, "Oh, we'd re-review, we'd change the score on this if we could." It's like you're, <laughs> yeah, you're you working for pitchfork. You could change the score. You've done it in the past for other <laughs> albums. You're a hipster music review website. You can do whatever the heck you like. It's all subjective. Can we can we celebrate the fact that we've got a new number one album on our list and it's also our year anniversary since starting the show? It is one year anniversary. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, us. Stars have aligned. Right, let's get on to upcoming releases. Uh, I want to start with an apology. Uh, last week, I missed that Big Nothing had a new album coming out. It's called Dog Hours. I really liked their debut. Um... It wasn't particularly consistent. There were like very much standout tracks and then kind of weaker ones. Uh, but they're just like a fun garage rock type band from the US. Um, I think they've got like three different vocalists, which means they just kind of cycle through across the albums, which is nice. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that one. So as you're listening to this episode, that album will already be out. On to albums coming out this week. Tears for Fears are releasing a new album called The Tipping Point. Tears for Fears are releasing a new album? Yes. Superchunk have a new album coming out called Wild Loneliness. I'm quite excited for this one. Their last album, What a Time to Be Alive, from 2018, was really good. Um, And not many bands 30 years into their careers 
write really good albums. So, yeah, this could be a good one. Australian band Gang of Youths are releasing a new album called Angel in Real Time. Uh, I saw them at Thekler in like 2017, the night before I had an exam, and it was a great show. So, uh, looking forward to this one, although some of the singles have been a bit middling. Uh, next up, Tangerine Dream are releasing a new album called Room. I don't know how to pronounce that. Realm? Uh, Realm, I'd say. Mm. Realm. If we get them on the show, we could ask them. They're quite a big act. Well, you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yes, that's true. And finally, Nightmares on Wax has a remix album coming out called Remixed to Freedom. Uh, there's a Marla remix on there that's really good. Recommend checking that one out. And that's the end of upcoming releases and the end of the show. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to keep in contact with us, you should subscribe on your podcast service of choice and maybe turn on notifications so you hear every time we release a new episode, which is every Monday, normally Monday morning, um, but sometimes in the afternoon. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter, at Unmuted Weekly. Or on Instagram at unmuted unmastered. You can drop us an email at unmutedunmastered at gmail.com. I can announce that the album for next week is Time Skiffs by Animal Collective. It's been out for a while now because it came out the same week as Jack Francis and Black Country New Road, but we're getting to it. I have a feeling this will be a divisive one too. Interesting. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Jess wants us to rip ourselves apart.